Welcome! You're listening to audio of Bible teaching from Island Community Church in downtown Memphis, Tennessee. At ICC, we are being transformed by Jesus to impact our world. Wherever you are as you listen today, we want you to know that we love and appreciate you. We're so glad you're here. We hope today's message will help you grow in relationship with Jesus. You can access more gospel resources and ways to connect with our church at iccmemphis.com. Thanks again for joining us. Like I said, I'm Barrett Bowden, uh, one of the pastors here at ICC, and it truly is a joy to welcome you this morning. Uh, If you are new today, especially, I just want to say from my heart to yours how grateful I am that you're with us. Um, We welcome you today, and hopefully just now you felt very loved um, in this moment, but um, we are so grateful for each and every one of you. Um, One of the things I was telling... uh, the guys that I have the privilege of helping to disciple uh, who are called by God to be future leaders in the church, uh, whether planting a church or leading in this one in a pastoral way, was talking about just the, the joy that it is to teach. And uh, the reality is every time I stand up to teach or anybody else here, we don't look out at the room. We don't teach as if we would just teach the same thing whether you're here or not. Um, this is an act of love from God to you, but also from me to you. And I look out into your eyes and uh, just feel just such a great desire um, that you today might know the love that God has for you. So I want to pray this morning toward that end, and then we'll open the word together and journey forward. Father, thank you for the joy that it is to know you. This is eternal life that we might know you, the living God, and Jesus Christ, your son, who you sent in love for us to live for our righteousness, to die for our forgiveness, to be buried in our place in the death that we deserve to die forever, but Lord, to rise again for newness of life for all who believe. Thank you, God, for true life, life that is given in the inner man, life that is a gift of you and your grace toward us in Jesus, life that will never end. So, Father, we pray that you would breathe life upon us today. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for your ministry here and now. Thank you for the joy of just getting to abide in your presence and receive from your power to listen to your voice and to experience, God, the deep and transformative change that you desire to bring within us for your glory and our good. So God, right now I release control, we release control, and we just pray that you would minister among us, lead us, that we might know more of you. Thank you for who you are and all you've done, for how you love us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you've got your Bibles this morning, I would encourage you and ask that you consider getting them open to the book of Song of Solomon. That is in the Old Testament. Um, It is sometimes in your Bible perhaps referred to as the Song of Songs. But this morning, we continue our series, Living Loved, and our journey through this wonderful book, the Song of Solomon. Of Solomon. I told you last week, and if you missed, you can always go back and try to listen and catch up or watch uh, previous messages online. But it's very important that you make sure you remember uh, the foundation of this book. I talked out of my own story and told you how transformative this book has been in my own heart and life uh, in these last months. I very much feel like I'm ministering out of not only the word, but something that God has done very deep and personal work in me. And um, I had the opportunity to journey through a book called Jesus, Lover of My Soul that's written by a guy over in Cambridge that's become a pen pal, I told you last week, uh, Julian Hardiman. And the book uh, helped me greatly. And the book, I believe this book of the Bible will help you greatly. We talked about last week, and I don't want to spend much time doing a recap, um, but I do want to remind you that The book is probably best known for its poetic, very romantic take on a relationship between a man and a woman in the book that we see 
as you read through the chapters, and I do hope you've had time to read in the worry, but as you read through the book, you see this relationship grow and blossom to the point of, of, of covenant and consummation and great joy in the relationship of marriage. And I told you last week that the book does highlight, you can't get around it. It, it inevitably, if you look at it on its surface value, you can tell this book is highlighting for us the joy of finding intimacy, which all of us crave, by the way, but the joy of us finding intimacy, but in particular in this book, it inevitably talks about how that intimacy can be found. It's not the only way it can be found, but how it can be found in the relationship of marriage. And we talked about this last week and some of the giggles, y'all remember this? Some of the giggles that some of us have as we're reading through the book and also some of the questions or for especially some of our singles, the, the, the concerns or even fears that come about studying a book like this, wondering, oh, if that's what it's about, then what about for me? especially those of us who have pain, whether the absence of this kind of relationship that is desired or the presence of this kind of relationship, past or present, that has not been what you believe God desired it, or desires it to be. But what I told you last week, and this is critical for our understanding today, is that this book is about something more. It has to be. It's named the Song of Songs, and it, it has got to be about something more than human relationship, because if it were not about something more, this book would be, first of all, idolatrous, but second of all, it wouldn't fulfill what we know God intended it to fulfill, which is to be a pointer, a sign on the road that leads us closer to understand Jesus. So what we said last week as we started out this book is that ultimately, this book is a book written about the most intimate of relationship, yes, but ultimately it's written to help us find joy in the love and in the intimacy that God offers to us in Jesus Christ. This book is an invitation to all of us to grow in your understanding and in your experience with the love and the intimacy of a great lover of your soul, who is God, who is Jesus Christ. And we talked about last week how this biblical imagery is, is very present as we studied the scriptures. We, we can see from Genesis all the way to Revelation, one of the metaphors that God gives us to understand his relationship with us and his desire for that, the kind of relationship that he wants with us is that he is a lover of our souls. So that's where we were last week. And um, if you remember, we opened the book, if you've got your Bible, you can glance over those first verses in chapter one, verses one to four. We made a lot of progress last week, you guys. We got through four whole verses. Isn't that awesome? Um, it, was, it was good work, I've gotta tell you. Um, this morning, we'll get through, I think it's 14, so it's gonna be good, uh, 14 verses, that is, so we will make even more progress this week. But last week, as we opened the book, what we began to see was an invitation for us to be honest, to be brutally honest with ourselves, with others, with God about our desires, our needs. And specifically to be honest about our desire for love, okay? So if you look back at the verses, you remember how um, we saw like in verse three, the woman cried out, for your love is better than wine. Your anointing oils are fragrant. Your name is oil poured out. Therefore, virgins love you. In verse four, draw me after you and let us run. You see right out the gate, oh, I want your love. I want you. An explosion of desire. And we talked about last week how sometimes we are taught um, or we have even these concepts uh, that we just kind of pick up on at times from our experience in the church world as if somehow our desires are bad. The very fact that we have a desire for love 
or for our soul to be wooed as if that is a bad thing, as if that just needs to be suppressed. And what we discovered last week and we will continue to discover is those desires that are deep, deep within us are God-given desires. And we shouldn't seek to suppress those, but we should seek to find maximum enjoyment of the desires that God has put in our hearts. But ultimately, we should realize that the maximum enjoyment of all of those God-given desires, it, it can only be fulfilled in Him. Joy that no other thing, no other person can ever fully satisfy, give you forever, God Himself can give you. We, dis- we discovered that our desires are given to us by God and they're given to us for God. So to, to deny the desires would be futile, it would be frustrating. but also to point them in the wrong direction would be sinful. God has given us those desires for himself. I remember um, getting to, I, I asked you at the end of last week, and we're gonna move on to the new text this morning, but I asked you at the end of last week's sermon, do y'all remember when I put up the question on the screen about um, whether or not you would pray a prayer this past week about what you're doing with your desires. What are the desires that you have? And what are you doing about them? And I was encouraging you to even offer your capacity for desire to God. One of the greatest things that you can do, I remember, arriving um, into the sabbatical season. And the first early days of my sabbatical season were just marked by heartfelt cries to God. Oh God, I feel this, but God, I know I need you. Oh God, I think this, but God, I know I need you. Oh God, I long for this, but God, I'm bringing my longing to you. And one of the things you have to realize at the start of this journey toward greater understanding of God's love and intimacy with him, experience with him, is you've got to come to a point in a personal way of saying, oh God, this is who I am and this is what I feel, but God, I know that ultimately the one that I need is you. And you cry out to God, bringing him all the capacity of your desire and waiting upon him to fill you in the ways that only he can. Well, this morning we continue forward in the journey and I'm really excited about it. Um, If you've got your Bible, we're gonna start in verse five, all right? Everybody there? Song of Solomon, chapter one, starting in verse five. And we're gonna read through chapter two, verse two. I am very dark, but lovely, O daughters of Jerusalem. Like the tents of Kedar, like the curtains of Solomon. Do not gaze at me because I am dark, because the sun has looked upon me. My mother's sons were angry with me. They made me keeper of the vineyards, but my own vineyard I have not kept. Tell me, you whom my soul loves, where were you, where you pasture your flock, where you make it lie down at noon? For, for why should I be like one who veils herself beside the flocks of your companions? If you do not know, O oh, most beautiful among women, follow in the tracks of the flock and pasture your young goats beside the shepherd's tents. He continues to say back, I compare you, my love, to a mare among Pharaoh's chariots. Your cheeks are lovely with ornaments, your neck with strings of jewels. Others say, we will make for you ornaments of gold studded with silver. The woman replies, while the king was on his couch, my nard gave forth its fragrance. My beloved is to me a sachet of myrrh, 
that lies between my breasts. My beloved is to me a cluster of henna blossoms in the vineyards of Engedi. He replies, Behold, you are beautiful, my love. Behold, you are beautiful. Your eyes are doves. She says, Behold, you are beautiful, my beloved, truly delightful. Our couch is green. The beams of our house are cedar. Our rafters are pine. I am a rose of Sharon, a lily of the valleys. He replies, as a lily among brambles, so is my love among the young women. This is God's word. This morning, as we look at this text, what we're gonna be talking about, and if you have something to write notes with, I would encourage you to do it because I really believe that what we're gonna be talking about this morning is something that every single one of us has dealt with in life, in love, and also in our relationship with God. It has taken me a long time to work through personally what I'm gonna be teaching you this morning, and in fact, I have still not arrived. We are on a journey together toward God. And this journey is marked by honest conversations, a need for honest conversations like the one we're having this morning. And I am so thankful that God has put his word in our hands that we might have the opportunity to know him more. But this morning, here's what we're gonna talk about. We're gonna talk about insecurity. Insecurity. As the text opens, verses five and six, what we find is a woman who has just, in previous verses, exploded with desire. Oh, I want to be loved. I want your love. Honest about desire. But as soon as the desire is expressed, what comes right on the heels of it is her going, but I'm just not sure. I'm just not sure that you're gonna love me. Oh, I want your love. Your love is better than wine, but... uh, I don't know. Because... There's something I gotta tell you about me, like I... And she begins to describe, right out the gates, her physical appearance. Look at verse five. In fact, the insecurity that she feels, the doubts that she begins to have, the walls that she begins to put up, she's kinda like, Please, please, please love me, but, 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 but wait. It's related to her physical appearance. Right on the heels of her expression of desire comes this voice from her heart. Uh, but I am very dark. Suddenly she's like aware, she's like expressing, like I'm aware of myself, but like I, I need you to know like what I look like. Um, and you could tell behind that is this thought, this question of like, I don't know what you're gonna think of me. It's almost like, um, I don't want to ask the question, who's ever been on Tinder or um, what on these other online dating sites, okay? Nor am I endorsing it. But it's almost like two people get set up or two people meet 
online in some way and they're going to meet for the first time and she's so excited. She's bursting with eagerness for this opportunity. But before the meetup happens, she's going, she's hedging, right? But, but I'm not sure because something you got to know about me is I'm, I'm dark. Now, we get this, don't we? In our culture, anybody ever been obsessed with the way you look before you go out with somebody or before you show up for your first interview or before you X, Y, or Z make a first impression, right? Very much a cultural thing. Um, we have an obsession with outward appearance. I was um, playing last week with Emma Grace, our one-year-old, on Instagram filters. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Um, yeah. How many of those filters are designed, designed to make you look a way that maybe you don't look just with the objective camera lens, right? Some of them are like weird, but some of them, some of y'all like those things. You're like, that looks cute. <laughs> you know, the way it did my lips or the way it, it, it styled me with glasses, guys, you know what I'm talking about? Like some of those things I'm like, dang, that's cool. Like I need some glasses, sunglasses like that. There's one that like puts glasses on my face and it makes me look like I'm at a beach. I'm just saying, I look like a way cooler pastor than the guy you're looking at this morning. I'm just like, okay. Um, we're obsessed. I was with uh, my cousins recently and they were beginning to tell me uh, about their friends who are in the young 20s. How many of their friends, this is a real life scenario, how many of their friends are regularly getting Botox injections? Because they want their lips to be filled out a certain way. And it's harmless. It doesn't cost a lot. But how that turns into something else. These are young 20-year-old girls. You don't have to go far in our community to find the destructive effects of social media. And I'm not just blaming social media, but this deep desire to impress. This deep desire to look a certain way, but isn't it reflective of a deep yearning of our heart to be loved, to be accepted, to be affirmed? And this is not just our day. This is an age-old thing. Insecurity around physical appearance. It goes all the way back to Song of Solomon, friends, <laughs> and even before that. And it's not just something with women. It's also something with men. I myself, over the years, have had many insecurities about the way that I look. And you might go, well, you look nice. Thank you. <laughs> I just put those words in your mouth, okay? <laughs> but over the years, I'm aware. I kind of look like Gumby. <laughs> I'm, I'm tall, I'm lanky. If I, if I flex real hard, y'all can't say I wore the wrong shirt today. There are these little pea-sized things that come up, you know. But all of us, even as men, women and men, all of us, I'm kind of making fun of myself, but I'm also being really honest. I mean, I've, I've had insecurities. All of us probably have time to time. And that is something that we've got to be honest about. She says here in verse 5, I am very dark. Oh, daughters of Jerusalem, like the tents of Cater, like the curtains of Solomon. She's, she's like, wait, you got to know something. He goes on in verse 6, and she says, don't, don't gaze at me because I am dark, because the sun has looked upon me. She goes on and describes how her mother's sons were angry with her, and they made her a keeper of the vineyards. In other words, she's like, right out the gate going, um, I wish my skin was lighter. Apparently in her culture, what was desirable was to have light skin. If we think on a global scale, we know that some cultures prefer light skin. There's other cultures in the world that prefer darker skin. Some of you guys today in the room might be going, yeah, I wish or I could relate to her because I understand what it's like to have dark skin and to be frustrated about that or to feel like I don't have certain privileges because of that. 
I wish that I could have lighter skin. There's others of us who have light skin in this room and go, do you know how much money I've spent on tan? Do you know how hard it is for me to go to the beach and not get red like a lobster? I want that nice oily tan. And how silly is this that on both ends of the spectrum, something like skin color, how much melanin is in your skin? It's just chemistry. But that it somehow matters. It matters to how we see ourselves and it has become to matter to how we think others see us. And this girl in a culture where pale skin is prized, he's saying, I need you to know something. It's not because of me. It's because of what I was forced to or because of what I was asked to. I've, I've had to spend time outside and I just need you to know like, you can almost hear it in her. Like I'm not like the other women that you might prefer over me. Today, we can see that she was desirous for love, but she was unsure if she was lovable. Purely on the physical characteristics. And today, this may be you. I'm talking about security of human love. Some of you guys who are single today and are desirous for relationship a kind of romantic relationship today, maybe this is you. Where you literally are feeling insecure about finding that kind of love or the security of human love. Even those of you who are married today and are wondering, will he, will she love me forever? Could have things in our hearts that surface just because of physical appearance, your skin color. Or maybe it's your height. Are you too tall? Are you too short? <laughs> my eye color. My eyebrows. My hair. What it does. <laughs> or what it doesn't. My lips, my ears, my nose, my cheeks. My chest size. My abs, that's one of the things. I used to literally get scared of taking off my shirt when I was in high school and college because I did not have abs. Because some of my friends did. And I used to think, oh man, I'm not gonna get that girl because you can't see the pack, you know what I'm saying? It sounds so silly. It does sound silly, but it's true. Hips, my body structure. My weight, my muscles, or lack of muscles in my case. Or maybe for some of us, our personality, or our past. Desire to be loved, but unsure if I'm lovable. Maybe this is not just this woman, maybe this is you. Maybe you could rewrite verse six in your own way. Do not gaze at me because I am, what is that for you? It's something you need to know about me because what? How do you find in your own heart and life. I'm asking you, I'm gonna pause for just a second. This is a really potentially uncomfortable moment. But I want you to think, what is the source of your greatest insecurity? What is it that you're most likely to kind of hedge with? Oh, I, I want, but, but. What is that for you? One of the most amazing things happens in the song, okay? It's really, really cool. It's a really, really cool moment. 
So the lover of the song, right? So we've got this woman who's expressing this. Oh, you need to know about my skin, right? And, and, and I'm not as, as like pale and culturally, therefore, as pretty as others who you may have opportunity to meet. She begins to speak out of her insecurity. One of the things that happens is the guy, we hear his voice come and reply, and particularly, I want you to pay attention to verse 15. So if you look at your Bible, go back to the text, because we see this interplay between the woman and the man, and the man comes on the scene, and what does he say here? Let's look at verse 15. What does he say? Behold, you are beautiful, my love. Behold, you are beautiful. Your eyes are doves. Here we have a love that is pushing through cultural stereotypes. And is this not what all of our hearts longed for? To be loved irregardless of all of that surface stuff? By the way, um, I'm going to take a brief aside right here and just pastor you men and women who are looking for romantic love right now in this season of your life because I want to say to you the way that we ought to pursue dating, romance, the pathway toward marriage ought to be different, ought to be distinctive than that of our culture. Our first thought about another person, man or woman, ought not to be, well, she's tall. Well, he's short. Well, she's white. Well, she's black. Well, he's got abs. Well, he ain't got a good job. Shouldn't be, and I could just go on the rest of that list that I gave you earlier. It should not be about the surface stuff. The way we should desire, as we're thinking about relationship and romance, ought to first be aimed at the heart. A love that is not conditioned on the stuff that our cultural conditions love upon. There are some wonderful men and women of God in our midst and beyond our midst that sometimes I fear do not even get a chance because they're judged not on the basis of the way God judges but basis of culture. And friends, you remember what the scripture's teaching? We gotta look first at the heart, amen? Open yourself up, open yourself up. Don't reinforce cultural stereotypes with the way that you choose to open yourself up. Open yourself up to love on the basis of the heart. My side is done, all right? Wait a second, maybe not. There's too many of us, I think, too picky. Get over it. <laughs> Stop being so freaking picky. Here's why. Here's my challenge. I thought I was done. I'm not. I'm really trying in this season to just be led by God, and here's, here it goes. Let God show you the beauty of another person. And then let their beauty define for you what is true beauty in your eyes. Let God show you the true beauty of another person. Go into any encounter with another person saying, God, would you show me their true beauty? And then what will happen is once you do that, their beauty will define for you true beauty in your eyes. Now my aside is done.
Now, the woman who has said, I won't love, I feel so unlovable, right? She's saying, but, and he's said now, oh, you're beautiful, my love. Oh, girls, don't you want a guy like this? Oh, honey, you are gorgeous. You are so stinking hot, my love. Sorry, that was the message version. Behold, you're beautiful. You are beautiful. My, I got to stick to the ESV. So, um, you're beautiful. So, he pours out his heart for her. But look at her, though. Look at what happens in reply. She basically goes, I hear you, uh, but really? Okay, her reply, don't take my word for it. Go to verse one of chapter two. He's saying, oh, honey, you define true beauty in my eyes. I love you. And yet she's going, let's look at it. Chapter two, verse one. She says, I am a rose of Sharon, a lily of the valleys. Now you might think she is basically going, yeah, boy, I am hot. I'll never do that impersonation again. <laughs> Somewhere that's on film and I am very sad about it. <laughs> she's going, you might think she's going, yeah, I'm beautiful. That's not what she's doing. Michelle and I recently, a few years ago, had opportunity to go to Israel where this love story takes place. And what we learned is this picture of the lily of the valleys, the rose of Sharon. It's actually one of the most common flowers in Israel. In fact, we went out to the hillsides and Michelle and I were counting. I mean, they are beautiful, but they are everywhere. And we'd look at some of the mountain sides and we just look out and you go, whoa, it's just gorgeous. Just, the whole thing looks like somebody's taken a paintbrush and just painted it with beautiful color. But what she's saying here is she's almost rebutting. She's almost, yeah, she's, she's talking back in a way. She's like, I don't know. I, I'm just like a pansy, you know, around here in Memphis in the winter. They're a dime a dozen. I mean, thank you, but I, I'm, just, I'm just one of many. You hear? I hear you. Uh, really? And his reply, verse 2, tells you everything you need to know. He counters her question and answers, oh yeah, really. In fact, you're not like a lily on a hillside of a thousand lilies to me. He just says, I, as a lily among what? Brambles. In other words, as I look upon you, it's as if you're the only flower amidst a whole bunch of like sticky thorns which I would never want to touch. I see you, that's who you are to me. So is my love among the young women. So he answers, yeah. <laughs> you want to know really? And I'm saying to you, yeah, really. I love you that much. Isn't this a beautiful, beautiful passage of Scripture? Now, let's talk. Because as beautiful as this is in terms of this man and this woman, what do we know about this book? It's got to be about something more than just human relationship, right? What we know about this book is ultimately this book is about Jesus and me. <laughs> and what I believe, what I know to be true is that you and I are desirous to be loved. We desire love from God. We do. It's part of why when the gospel message come to us 
And we hear for the first time, I don't know if you can remember the first time you heard it or the first time it hit you fresh, but when you hear God loves you, your heart begins to whelp up inside of you like, wait, what? Like God, you mean like the eternal God, like the real true God, the God who has been, who is today and forever will be like, he, he, he what, he loves we desire so much to be loved. But friends, as we think about our desire to be loved, here's what happens. We are unsure if we are lovable. What begins to creep up in our hearts is the uncertainty the uncertainty of whether or not like as god lifts his gaze to me like and he sets his eyes upon me uh, i don't know um I just, I don't know. I, uh, something you need to know about me. And it begins. Something that makes us uncomfortable in ways about being loved completely by God. It's parts of us that rise up to resist it, isn't there? I got to my sabbatical and one of the earliest exercises that I did with my sabbatical coach was an exercise that I almost fired him for. I was so mad about it. It was an exercise that I desperately needed. I won't go into all the details of it because it was a very personal exercise that God used in my life. But I'll describe it in generality to try to help you understand from my own story what I'm talking about. Because I'm really trying to talk about something that is very real to all of us in our experience. I had been crying out for God, and yet um, there were some things that were, <laughs> I could sense like keeping me from really receiving all that God wanted to give. And there was one day that my coach put me in an exercise where essentially, in an imaginary way, this was not real, I was actually on a conference call with him on uh, Zoom, but in an imaginary way, we were in a room together. He was sitting on one side of the table and I was sitting on the other. And he began to say, hey, I, I want you to start handing some things over to me. And he went through this long list and it took quite a matter of time. He began to ask me to hand over, and I don't just mean physically, but to literally like let go of, to release from my personhood things like my degrees, things like my job, my position, influence, things like my house, things like bank accounts, sources of income, things like relationships, even those that are the very closest to me. We got to the end of the exercise and he said, all right, I would like for you to take off your clothes. Now, remember, this was not real. No counselor should ever ask you to literally take off your clothes. But he said in an imaginary way, 
I want you to rid yourself of everything that you have. This was the end of the end of the end of this exercise. To where I found myself in this place, sitting completely alone, nothing to my name, not even anything to claim in terms of what I was wearing. He said, how do you feel about that man that you see? (laughs) I said, I don't like him. (laughs) I said, in ways, I feel sad for him. In ways, I don't know what to do with him. (laughs) Listen. In ways, I don't know what to do with him. (laughs) He said, how do you feel that God thinks about that man? I said, I don't want God to see that man. said, God's gaze is upon you. I said, I don't want him to keep looking. It's too hard. Hmm. To be known completely as we are. There's parts of us, while our hearts cry out, oh, I want love. When people get too close, we start putting up the wall, all the while our hearts crying out. And when God gets too close, the same thing can happen. Yeah, but I don't feel good about you looking at me like this. I don't feel good about you knowing this part of me and still loving me. Like, I I don't, I'm I'm squirming a little bit because here I am, like, without all this stuff to put in the way to offer you to say oh but x y or z but like here i really am and and you're still coming at me with love like i don't know what to do with that has anybody ever been there before and yet if we look at the song and the biblical metaphor that god has given us Jesus is the lover, and we are the beloved. And he comes at us, has our hearts cry out for love, and our insecurity says, I don't know. And he says to us, behold, you are beautiful. You are beautiful, my loved. Verse 15 of chapter 1. Behold, you are beautiful. Beautiful. But I love you. Now everybody here in the room that knows anything of the gospel begins to go, wait, what? Wait, wait, wait a second. You're not saying that God finds us beautiful. We are dirty, rotten sinners, dead in our trespasses and sins. Like, there's only one beautiful, and it's not us, it's him. Like, what are you, what are you talking about? Like, that's the words of Jesus, that you are, be- he's saying to us that we're beautiful? Come on. Well, if you want to know how it squares to the gospel, it has everything to do with how it squares to the gospel. Because the reality is for us, friends, we 
are loved by God. We are loved, deeply, deeply loved by God. But here's the thing. (laughs) This is not because of what we deserve in and of ourselves. It's because of who he is and what he gives. He has chosen to see us as we are. Nothing to offer other than exactly who we are. His eyes cut through all the pretense, cut through all the activity, all the things that you're known for, known by, or try to posture yourself in. His eyes cut through. He sees you as you are, and yet, He has chosen to love you as you are. Undeserved love, unmerited love, uncalled for love, unexpected love, completely transformative love, amazing love, amazing love. How can it be? Amazing love. That's why we call it, friends, grace. Because it is love that is not conditioned on you. It's love that is conditioned on him. He loves you. Because he loves you, everything changes. Y'all seen the movie Beauty and the Beast? Somebody just said, oh my, yes. Apparently you like it, all right? One of the things that is obvious about the movie is you've got this hideous beast creature who is showing in his physical nature, um, he he got that way because of something that was wrong in his heart. Y'all know the story, all right? I don't have to go into it. I can let Caroline come and explain it. She'd do a better job than me. And yet, what is the one thing that he needs? He desires so much love, right? When Belle arrives, though, as much as he wants to be loved, He almost is freaking out, going, there's no way possible that she could ever love me. Y'all know what I'm talking about? And yet, it is that love that his whole life, his whole hope, his whole existence really depends upon because we know that unless someone comes to fall in love with him before that last drop of the petal, it's all over. You know what I'm talking about? But what's so amazing about the story is that Belle, you, we all watch it and wonder, somehow falls in love with this beast and chooses to love him. And even at the end of the movie, to give herself for him in such a way that by the end of the movie, he has learned to actually believe and receive her love in a way that completely transforms him from the inside out. Now, I only bring that up because I think that many of us, like the beast, are very aware, and it's necessary for us to be very aware of the sin and the brokenness and the ugliness that is in our heart and our life. But many of us long for love and yet have trouble understanding why anyone would choose to love us. But what I'm telling you, friends, is that God does love us. And 
And your whole life and your whole hope and your whole existence depends upon whether or not you will allow God to love you in the way that he does. He loves you. And I can't explain it, and you can't explain it, and you might go, but, uh, but, 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 and we begin to feel insecure, and we throw up all the things that, reasons why, and all of those are like, yes, yes, you're not deserving, yes, you're broken, yes, you're sinful, yes, we deserve condemnation and death, all of those things are true, but yet, God still loves you. He loves you. He sets his gaze upon you. He comes after you. And in that room where I was, metaphorically, where you're naked and alone, you have nothing to offer, it's in that place that Jesus Christ looks upon you and moves towards you. Not with a need for anything, but with a desire to give everything to you. He loves you. He loves you. He loves you. And if you can understand it, it transforms everything about you. You are beautiful. You are beautiful, my love. What do you mean beautiful? How could I be beautiful? I've got on rags. You're beautiful because he has brought to you a new set of garments for you to wrap yourself in. Do you remember the scriptures like 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 30? He says, and because of him, you are in Christ Jesus who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption. In other words, he's saying, don't you know that like as God gifts to, gets to you, like he clothes you in his righteousness. In other words, you find your beauty in his beauty. He makes you beautiful by who he is and what he has done. This is about Jesus and what he offers to you. Second Corinthians chapter five, the scripture speaks that the love of Jesus controls us and goes on and says from now on, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, and behold, the new has come. In other words, you want to know how Jesus sees us? This is hard for some of us who tend to beat up on ourselves and focus on ourselves, 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 like the woman in the song. But look at me, but look at me, but look at me, but look at me. And Jesus is going, stop it. Stop looking at yourself. Look at me. Jesus no longer sees us disobedient, rebellious, disloyal, dirty, harmful to others, cheaters, prideful, failures. He knows the truth about us. Oh, yeah. But friends, if anyone is in Christ, he is a what? A new creation. The old has what? Gone. And the new has come. He sees us now cloaked and covered in the righteousness of himself. Our beauty comes from his beauty. When we turn from sin and place ourselves in Christ and receive from his love, we are made new 
And Jesus looks upon us with love and he says, you are beautiful, my love. You are now perfect, you are now loyal, you are now pure, you are now clean, you are now good, you are now just. I see you for who I am and what I have done for you. I wonder as we close this morning, how do you see yourself? Simultaneously, we are called to see ourselves as those who deserve punishment for our sin, our ugliness, but at the same time, those who are accepted, who are loved, who are delighted in by God's amazing grace. Whose voice are you listening to? over your heart and over your life. Many times, um, we find it hard to look at ourselves. And we find it hard for other people to look at us as we really are. And we mask it with activity, with busyness, with avoidance, with pretense. Deep down, we're not sure we want to be known. But friends, uh, Tim Keller said once, he said, to be loved but not known, it's comforting, but it's superficial. He said, to be known but not love, that's our greatest fear. But to be known and loved, have both, that's perfection. Some of us are on a journey and God is trying to teach us that what our hearts long for, being completely known and completely loved, really, that perfection is available, but it's only found in perfection in him. He knows us. And yet he loves us. And that changes everything. Don't settle for less than the perfect love of Jesus Christ. Do not settle for less. As we close this morning, I just say, some of us, um, like stand and look in the mirror a little bit too long. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? Um, if you've ever been in a relationship with anyone, you probably know that sometimes somebody can be getting ready. I did it this morning. And I, I said to Michelle, I was like, does this look right? And she's like, uh, yeah, you look great. And I'm like, but, and I, I'm just nitpicky. I just completely nitpicky. And Yet, somebody can be standing there right next to you, going, you, you, but I love you, you look great. Sometimes, we can be so focused on ourselves, we just, we just reek of just critical, critical, critical. While Jesus is looking at us saying, beautiful, beautiful. Beautiful. We can be so stuck in self-judgment and hatred that we miss the voice of God's love. You're beautiful, my love. Jesus is saying, not because of what you bring to me, but because of what I bring to you. I love you. I love you. I love you. I love you. 
So this morning as we respond, I just want to encourage you. I, there's a prayer that we'll put on the screen here. I just want to encourage you to consider praying this prayer. God, I want to hear your voice speaking to me more than any others, including my greatest of human relationships and even my own. Oh God, would you fill me and would you flood me with your love? This morning, God sees you for who you really are. And this morning, he loves you. He moves towards you to take from you all that is ugly and broken and wrong and to give to you all that is good and beautiful and pure. He is beautiful and he bestows on you his beauty and he looks at you and says, I love you, I love you, I love you. And when you really get it, it changes everything. Our prayer counselors are gonna come forward this morning and as we cast our gaze to Jesus and just allow him to love on us and minister to us, if there's anything that you want prayer for or if today you want to make a decision to, to receive the love of God for you in Jesus Christ for the first time, I just would encourage you, come. And you can pray by yourself or you can pray with one of us. We would love, love, love the opportunity to talk to you and minister to you. He loves you. Father, thank you for the opportunity we have to be loved by you. And Lord, there is so much in us that resist and protest because of what we know of ourselves. And Lord, you know that about us too. We acknowledge our brokenness, our ugliness, our sinfulness. But Lord, at this moment, even as we are, you still move toward us with your love and with your grace. Jesus, you've done it all. You've done it all to take our garments of filth and to give us garments of purity, of righteousness, of beauty and blessing. And as we look to the cross, we see our old garments hanging upon you as you took our place. So there might be opportunity for beauty and newness of love and real life with you forever. So God, we receive we receive from you. Transform us, Lord, by your love. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you again for joining us for today's Bible teaching from Island Community Church in downtown Memphis. We want to encourage you to join us in person for worship soon. No podcast can ever replace the good design of God in gathering in person with other believers for worship in a local church. For more gospel resources and ways to connect with ICC, you can visit us at iccmemphis.com. As we close, we offer a prayer of blessing for you from Romans 15, 13. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. Thanks again for joining us.